You're listening to The Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, Sideshow's very own comic book podcast. Join us as we celebrate New Comic Book Day every week and discuss the latest releases, the biggest announcements, and more from your favorite publishers. What's in your comics hall? Hi, everybody. I'm Amy. And I'm Paul. And welcome to The Comics Hall. We definitely (laughs) didn't start this show without you guys, but we are here now. Uh, It is New Comic Book Day. Last week, we had our really cool video game comics special. I think that was fun and informative for everyone involved. A little bit of reading, a lot less uh, controller handling, uh, but it's a great intersection of interest. But we are back with New Comic Book Day, wrapping up everything this week that dropped both on Tuesdays and on Wednesdays, of course. But uh, we are covering all the releases from today, Wednesday. June 23rd. We are already almost through June, but there's one more week in the month. So one more week. Don't get too excited just yet. Uh, <laughs> but we got a lot to cover today. First, we are joined by our fantastic moderator. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. It's Rob again, and I'll be in the chats with you. <laughs> Can we do our bit again? But Yins, <laughs> you guys, y'all. <laughs> I like how Rob says Rob again as if uh, we're time travelers from the future. Or I know. Or we are definitely, finally, we've all found ourselves in that Groundhog Day situation. That was inevitable. <laughs> Got a little scary out there. But uh, before we dive into all of those fantastic new releases, we do have some comic book news for you guys. So first up, you may have caught this one over the weekend on our uh, pop culture headlines. I thought this was interesting enough to include, uh, but we wanted to make sure that you guys saw it here again. Uh, Publisher Scout Comics and Entertainment has partnered with the company Comic Tags to create a new way for fans to collect and read digital comics. Comic Tags are collectible trading cards that include a unique code for collectors to download a PDF copy of each comic featured on the card. These collectible cards currently retail for $6.99 and are available both online and they're coming to brick-and-mortar comic stores soon. Comic book stores now have the option to purchase them wholesale. I believe they are also capable of getting a really cute little spinner rack. I've seen some digital renders. Uh, And the trading cards have a kind of a fold to them. And there's like the little, you know, thing with your unique code that come in a Mylar package for extra collectability. Um, And the first wave of releases will be some of the most popular Scout comics to date, including uh, eight titles, The Mall, White Ash, Mindbender, Stabity Bunny, It Eats What Feeds It, Gut Ghost, Solar Flare, and The Source are available now. And there will be more titles and more publishers coming on board in the future. Fingers crossed, hopefully. So uh, if your local comic book store gets a hold of these, uh, shout it out. We would love to see how these go because Six ninety nine for a a full trade of a comic is a great deal. Yep, hear me out, Amy. Yu Gi Oh cards, but like the Blue Eyes White Dragon card you get has a whole origin story for the Blue Eyes White Dragon on the back. Okay, but like if I get all five pieces of Exodia, what Your happens then? Breaks. <laughs> you just have to pay retail price for all of them. You just pay a sixth price. Um, great. One that's that's what it's like. Wow. Uh, they came here for comics and they're getting TCG. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, also, we've got some, of course, some great Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman uh, news. Having just finished Venom number 35, the 200th anniversary uh, issue. Good for them. Donny, I, yeah, I know. Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman have begun to tease fans with a new project. Cates posted an image. This story isn't over. I'm not done. They don't get to walk away. Hashtag stay tuned while Stegman captioned his post transmission complete for now the and the logo itself <laughs> is very similar sorry like I don't want to make any assumptions but I'm like you can tell which one's the writer and which one's the artist right? <laughs> the artist yeah <laughs> exactly that would be uh Amy just tell me what to write just write this in all caps and don't screw it up Paul <laughs> You got it, boss. Uh, and the logo is very similar to Marvel Strike Force, but uh, Donny Cates has gone through not only on his own post, but on other, you know, re- uh, caption retweets and other places saying, no, <laughs> it's just not <laughs> no. that. So very simply, it is not Marvel Strike Force. So uh, very, very excited to see them team up together, hopefully on something that is completely different than what we've seen them do, because they obviously and clearly can knock it out of the park every time. Yeah. And then looking ahead, we have two new exciting Vault Comics releases coming up. Uh, Paul, you want to help me tag team this one? Um, yep. And you handle the first one, and I'll handle the second one. But uh, mark your calendars. You We're starting to get the September solicitations trickling out, and Vault is uh, ready to deliver with their Nightfall Horror imprint once again. As they always 
do. So Vault Comics has announced two new horror titles coming in September, Human Remains and World of Darkness, Crimson Thaw. So Human Remains will be tackled by the creative team um, of writer Peter Milligan and artist Sally Cantriano. I walk, uh, who did I Walk With Monsters? Colorist, uh... Derbla. Derbla. Oh, that's the first time I've ever read that name. So, Derbla Kelly and designer Tim Daniel. The story tells of a world where a new breed of monsters hunts by sensing human emotions. If you want to live, you can't love, fear, laugh, or cry. Human Remains hit stores on September 22nd. And that is a hell of a premise. That is like a quiet place to the extreme. That is a quiet, mm-hmm. depressing place. But it can't even be depressing because then it's no. if, you're, if you're depressed, those monsters are going to find you. Yeah. I remember those commercials. It's like that green little depression monster. <laughs> that that's the exact – I, I was thinking of the Mucinex monster, but totally different Maybe thing. that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> uh, but up next, one that I'm very excited for uh, because I've been loving very like, – not a lot of people have been talking about this series, but it has been so consistently good. Spinning out of Vampire the Masquerade where you're getting the World of Darkness, Crimson Thaw. If you are familiar with the uh, World of Darkness – Role-playing game systems, this will pique your interest. Uh, this will bring werewolves into the world of Vampire the Masquerade, as written by Jim nice. Zub, Tim Seeley, Blake Howard, Teeny Howard, and Danny Lore. Danny Lore and Jim Zub, I think, are the newcomers for this. Uh, Tim Seeley has been handling the main uh, Winter's Teeth story, and Blake and Teeny Howard, superstar couple, um, they have been tackling the anarchist tales. So this will bring in werewolves um, and art will be provided by Julius Ota, colors by Addison Duke and letters by Deron Bennett of And World Design. Each issue nice. in this three-part event will include exclusive gaming material for Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition as all of these comics do. And a little bit, without giving away too much of the plot, uh, Cecily Bain is now Prince of the Twin Cities and if you're a Vampire the Masquerade uh, person you know that Prince is kind of like the cream of the crop. That's, that's the top vamp. Uh, Cecily Bain is the Prince of the Twin cities but werewolves are prepared to take back what's theirs when Mm -hmm. bane's vampires move in on one of their sacred sites uh so i'm very very excited about this it's it's just been such a fun it's almost like a noir crime comic with vampires that's been going on and and it does have that fun uh tabletop role-playing game feel that i love uh that makes so interesting when people are like we're doing a dungeons and dragons comic which uh jim zub has done and i think teeny howard also did the the rick and morty dungeons and dragons so i mean they're they're doing fantastic work but uh yeah if you're a fan of vampire the masquerade or if you haven't even given this a chance but you just really love the kind of supernatural underworld Oh my goodness, it's one of the best series that I feel like no one's talking about. Mm-hmm. So, World of Darkness Crimson Thaw will also come out in September. Vampire the Masquerade, I'm pretty sure, was either like one of the, on the first episode or the second episode of the comics hall that we ever did, what is almost like two years ago now, that you, you covered it when we, were in the, when we were in the chat cave. I remember that very specifically, because you were super stoked about that. Feels like a million years ago. Yeah, and it's interesting that they're billing this as Vampire the Masquerade because there is the Werewolf the Apocalypse system, which is in the World of Darkness game banner. But specifically, it, they're taking it as werewolves mm. in Vampire the Masquerade. So who knows? We might get another spinoff. <laughs> well, as long as the werewolves are playing basketball, I'm in. So. Werewolves, not swearwolves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that does it for our comic book news today. We've got a lot of great stuff to show you guys, though, in our weekly haul. So we're going to dive right into that, uh, starting off with a pick of the week that Paul and I both picked up, uh, continuing the recent streak of fantastic anthologies celebrating Pride Month from the big two houses. We've got Marvel's Voices Pride Number 1. This is the next in the Marvel's Voices series, uh, which, of course, is based on, loosely, uh, the podcast. I know Angelique Rocher is the consulting editor for this mm-hmm. uh, project because Marvel's Voices as a podcast seeks to boost storytellers and learn about their inspirations. And then we take some of those people who have been featured on the podcast and get them telling stories with some of their favorite characters. And in this case, favorite LGBTQ characters. And we've got uh, some fantastic stories going on here. Yeah, it, it was it was great. Um and again, it's funny, Amy, we are in almost the exact opposite seat as we were when we covered DC's Pride book, because for a, for a majority of this, maybe like one, maybe like two or three of the characters that were highlighted, not that were, you know, sort of ba- characters that were moving the story along, like like Daredevils in this, um, but not characters like that. But I wasn't familiar with a lot of them, but I also didn't feel that like knowing every single thing about every one of these characters was the point of this. And I actually really love that. Yeah, and so um, there are 
so many people listed on this book and we'll start to get into that. But while we're on that topic, let's talk about the accessibility because Mm -hmm. we've tried to cover some of these um, anthologies before on the show. And an anthology, again, means that each story doesn't necessarily play off of another, but also Marvel does a really good job of making sure that these stories are not deeply entrenched in continuity. I mean, of course, there is the character continuity of who they are and and people they've loved and and what teams they're on who's on krakoa now and stuff like Mm -hmm. that um but it doesn't require you to have read every single volume of this character's uh, continued existence to understand what's going on the stories are all about between four to eight pages there's a couple that are only one or two pages there's a really lovely page for all my young avengers fans out there uh, a really lovely page penned by alan heinberg uh with art by jim chung of course and it is uh billy and teddy's wedding vows kind of spinning out of empire that we empire saw. yeah there's um, even like a review for it like a i love their uh that they really steered into their like shameless plug <laughs> but it was really cool how they did it too i love that yeah and and so in terms of accessibility Not only do they work to make sure that these stories are pretty um, nice little snippets that aren't huge continuity uh, Mm -hmm. based, but they also do have, they open this anthology with a kind of um, couple of pages by Luciano Vecchio, who has been doing a lot of the character designs and and really doing a lot of work on this anthology uh, that gives a brief retrospective of the characters, not only the first uh, LGBTQ character in uh, Marvel Comics to have confirmed their identity, which was North Star, uh, but also the first, like we've seen as recent as Jason Aaron's prehistoric star brand, uh, whose name was, I believe, oh. Vin. No, Vin, there's no vowels yeah. in his name. Um, but the characters throughout the timeline, and then we have, of course, highlights of Iceman and Koi Boy and uh, Sa- uh, Sarah and Angela, and it's just a really great kind of timeline of how uh, these characters have uh, led the way towards other characters. And then... Uh, the Young Avengers, of course, ending up being one of the most uh, fully queer superhero teams. Yeah. I mean, it, and it was really great. I, I really loved the um, the introduction of this as well. This mm-hmm. The sort of the symposium or whatever we're calling it by Prodigy. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was a really great way for Marvel to set the tone of this book right yes. up front, um, which is something that I felt, you know, as much as I love DC's Pride book last time, I definitely felt like it may have been a little too much. Like these are uh, our stories. And while they were all wonderful, they were like, here are the stories themselves. But I, I, I thought it was lacking a unified message by the publisher itself. And so I felt like regardless if you liked every single moment in this, like it was nice that they put that right up front and said, this is, these are the stories we're going to tell. Yeah, and then of course behind the pages, all of the cre- most of the creators, I, I believe, all of the creators involved, all the way down to uh, coloring, lettering, editing. Uh, this this book has featured a lot of creators who are also uh, identified as LGBTQ uh, community members. Just mm-hmm. really, really awesome seeing them get to take on characters who uh, they love and who mean a lot to them, uh, and then also characters with very rich stories to tell um there are how how many are there in this there's like uh 14 uh, stories 14 stories yeah 14 stories plus some pinups uh which of course we love the pinups lots of variant covers as well um i personally picked up the chris anka cover which features uh nico minoru and carolina dean on the cover um but it's very it's it's just a really wholesome and heartwarming anthology um there are some maybe missteps or at least points in the stories that weren't as strong. Um, But I think either when you're looking at it from a critical eye, there's always places we could do better. Uh, But having a a pride anthology from Marvel is definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, And, uh, and it's just a, it's just a really fun celebration. I mean, I'm a fan of the Young Avengers, so I'm always happy when we get the Young Avengers. Uh, But there's a lot of X-Men as well, because not only, I mean, X-Men have always represented the underdogs and the outcasts, but, now more, uh, now more so than ever with the age of Krakoa, um, getting to really bring back a lot of mutant characters and focus on their individual stories and lives. We get a lot of X-Men in this book as well. Um, and just a lot of people getting to revisit characters uh, that haven't been seen in a while or that they haven't had a chance to write in a while, like Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung getting back with uh, Billy and Teddy and stuff Billy like and that. Yeah, and, and you know, it was... It, it was great. It was it was fun to see, like specifically with Billy and Teddy, because again, I'm just not 
familiar with so much of Marvel that reading, you know, getting to see Billy and Teddy's wedding in Empire, like it was, it was so wonderful and it was so fun and it was such a good moment that seeing it revisited here mm -hmm. again so early on when you see the, their vows very early on, yeah. um, it's cool to see how, you know, if that character impacted me, how impactful that character was to everyone who, you know, got those characters to where they were and who are currently writing them or I like how in some of these who may be writing them because it says like the end question mark on some of these stories like I thought that was wonderful and mm -hmm. like you were mentioning about how um, there may be you know some missteps or some stories not maybe necessarily missteps but stories that are like they aren't as strong as they are which is it tends to happen in anthologies mm -hmm. I do love the one overarching part of that is showing um, that the different um, or I should say what it means to be LGBTQ means is so different to so many people. And that, that really comes through in these stories and the vast mm -hmm. level of, uh, diversity uh, in these stories itself is, is wonderful. I mean, like no story was the same. Um, right. And I think in some anthologies you can sort of start, once you start reading as many anthologies as we read about not only Marvel's voice, not during pride or uh, super, I'm sorry, the festival of superheroes, but like we read so many that sometimes you're like, okay, they can feel sort of like step and repeat at some mm -hmm. And like, it just didn't feel like that at all in Marvel's voices. It was wonderful. Yeah. I, I especially enjoyed uh, elements of, of, because for me, I recognize She-Hulk as a character who is very aspirational, both in her confidence and her physique. Uh, and uh, Crystal Frazier, the writer of the um, story Totally Invulnerable, also has a very similar affinity to She-Hulk that comes across in the story. Um, and yeah, then again, like Alan Heinberg getting to revisit uh, those characters who have grown up so much since uh, their debut. Um, I will say one of the things that didn't need to happen was the reprinting of uh, yeah. some pages of Alpha Flight. I mean, they did introduce that historic moment to us in the intro of the text, but uh, when we get to the M, the monetary value, you guys will see. Um, it's, a, it's an 82-page book, but unfortunately about eight or ten of those pages at the back are reprints of, a, of the Alpha Flight story in which North Star uh, came out. And so it, that space could have been used better for other people or interviews with the creators. Um, but otherwise, I, th I think it's a fantastic piece. And I think we've kind of covered the interest. I mean, with these, these anthologies, if you're curious about any of these characters or you love any of these characters, it's well worth the read. And you can find, like, there's, like, I want to say, like, eight or nine at least different variant covers. Um, yeah, there's so a can, ton. Yeah, if you're a variant cover fiend. Uh, but be advised, remember, the full, the full issue is uh, $9.99. It is 82 pages long. I think this was, I mean, I think it was another great output from Marvel, and I hope that we only continue to see uh, even stronger uh, representation from the Marvel Voices series like yeah. this. Yeah, I, I like what, what you had said, Amy, that it's, you know, is the book, I mean, is any book ever really perfect, but like particularly this book, is it perfect? No, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, oh, and before we get off wonderful. of this one, we should, we should take on the Herculean task of trying to name off the writers, artists, oh, okay. colorists, letterers. All right, I'll tackle writers. You want to do artists, or do you? I have them all listed out. I can I can try to get as many of these artists as I can here. Okay, uh, but we have of course Alan Heinberg, Mariko Tamaki, Lila Sturgis, Steve Orlando, Leo Williams, Crystal Frazier, Kieran Gillen, J.J. Kirby, Teeny Howard, Vita Ayala, Jacopo Camagni, and Luciano Vecchio. And some of these artists, uh, some of these writers are artists pulling double duty right. on their own stories, so they wrote and uh, scripted and illustrated their own pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see, but we've also, you know, I'll, I'll just read from the actual page that we've got here as best I can. Um, nope, that's not going to work at all. Uh, so uh, we also have Jam Bazaldua, Jim Chung, Chris Anka. Uh, is it Anka? Anka? I've always, Anka. I, it is Anka. I've Anka. heard it both ways, as they say in I asked him at a con. Um, it is Chris Anka. <laughs> uh, Olivia Copiel, uh, Jethro uh, Morales, Derek Charm, Joanna Estep, uh, Javier Caron, Claudia Aguirre, Jen Hickman, Brittany L. Williams, Samantha Dodge, uh, Luciana Vecchio, and then we've got – I'm starting to get into some of the colors as well. Marcella uh, uh, Mayola. Paulina Ganeshow is also in there. Yes. Tamara Bonvillain, uh, Eric Arcienega. Paul, oh, you said Paulina. Yeah, Brittany Peer, Kendall Good, Ariana Mayer, um, who did a majority of the lettering, I believe. Yes. And then we've got Tyler Kirkham and other folks have worked, and then um, edited by Sarah Brunstad. Yes, and then consulting yeah. editing by Angelique Rocher. Oh, just a, yes. does, it's, it, it's a stacked book. I mean, no matter which way you slice it, it's a, a huge, lot of talent. huge book. <laughs> On that book. 
Yeah, seriously. So that's our pick of the week, Marvel's Voices Pride, number one. That is an anthology book, and I I just love these outputs. I mean, I can't wait to see which is going to be next in the Marvel Voices series, um, but I really do like this uh, this style of offering from yeah. from both of the publishing houses. It's been great. Oh, and we didn't mention uh, the M, the monetary investment. It is nine ninety nine. Yeah, for 82 pages. 82 pages. It's a lot of book. That's a lot of book. It is a lot of book, though. Yeah. A lot of bang for your book. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of bang for your book. All right. So next up, we've got a couple of books to aim for you guys. Aim, as we kind of introduced here, is our uh, our own type of review system. We don't like to assign numbers to anything. So we like to give you all the tools that you need uh, to make an informed purchase at the store. A is for accessibility. Uh, spell it with me, kids. Uh, a is for accessibility. How easy is this to pick up and read, both in terms of do you have to have read anything else before this, but also how likely are you to find this in print or online at the store? Um, and in terms of I, I is the interest. Who would like this? Are there any similar titles we can recommend that'll help you make the transition and jump into this book? And then the M is money or the monetary investment. How much does it cost? And we usually like to tell you if there's anything extra you're getting or anything you're not getting, how many pages there are. So you can kind of do the mental math uh, and figure out if it's the right uh, thing to invest in for you. Yep, yep, yep. So... Paul, you want to take us into Infinite Frontier, number one, from DC Comics? Or is this a zero? This is a number one or a zero? No, it's number one. It's, it's number, number one. one. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, Infin- I think the first Infinite Frontier was like March or something. Okay. Um, but yes, this is Infinite Frontier, number one, uh, written by Joshua Williamson. Artist, uh, The artist on it is Jamonico, and uh, Mitch Garretts did the uh, the cover that you're looking at here. And then um, Anthony Fajardo Jr. is on the colors. So... Jumping right into the A, as far as the accessibility, uh, it's a pretty pretty big release. I think this pre- I'm I don't know any more than you all do, uh, but I'm pretty I'm just speculating here. I think this is going like by the time we get to uh, six and that's done with, I think this is going to spin into the next big event for DC. So I'm all but certain. Just I've been reading comics a while, so I'm all but certain. Uh, I mean, I'm all here for it after reading the book. Um, I'll I'll get into that in a second, but and then how easy is this to pick up and read? So this is um, not what I would call the most accessible book. So this isn't something that you can be like, oh, you know, this is this is fun. Val Zaz on the cover, and I think that looks like Darkseid, maybe. Um, Alan Scott, like I, <laughs> there are so many levels to even just this cover that if I had to recommend like prerequisite reading definitely read Dark Knight's Metal and Death Metal um, because that will help you understand everything that set up the new Infinite Frontier what is now known as the Omniverse Uh, I won't spoil it for everyone in case you are reading it we are a spoiler free podcast and show all I can tell you is that after the events of DC's last event not the um not the snows uh you know that was swept under the rug that was the um i oh i completely justice league i completely forgot the endless name of that. endless winter endless, endless winter. winter thank you oh wow my brain just completely <laughs> pushed it out and i guess you made room for math or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> definitely not um but it was dark knight's death metal so after the events of the Dark Knight's Death Metal, there is now an omniverse. So everything that ever was or will be in DC Comics continuity, it all exists, you know. And um, that is that it is good because they sort of all they put all their cards, you know, on the table. They said we're all in, and so it's up to you to pick and choose what parts of the omniverse you want to read in. But it all exists. So we have the um, the heroes that we see in front of us. They are the justice incarnate basically the justice league but for the omniverse so they are all come from different earths and different worlds uh some of them maybe even from the dark dimension but i i'm i'm getting ahead of myself anyways there's a lot of reading that you need to do to really sort of appreciate this book now i think you could understand it if you have a passing familiarity with some of these characters but it's going to be a little difficult to understand some of the key nuances of this book and that people are really sort of like did everything did the omniverse and the skies reign with multiple batman characters like there's a whole storyline in this book that relies on you understanding what happened during dark knight's death metal which i would not say makes this the most accessible number one so 
uh, as far as the interest goes, again, uh, if you are a fan of saying like, hey, this is like a loose sort of reboot of where DC is going, this is a good place, I think, for you to start. Uh, we get to see a ton of characters in ways that we really haven't seen them before. And honestly, um, I'll read anything that Germanico does. Um, his art is fantastic, and it is so much fun uh, to just sort of look at the way he draws these particular characters. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting book. This was an interesting week of comics for me because a lot of these are very, uh, very polarizing books that I've had. So Infinite Frontier, again, not as accessible as I'd like, but if you are a fan of some of these characters and sort of the DC universe as a whole, I think you'll really enjoy this book. And then as far as the M goes, the monetary investment, it is four ninety nine, and that's 32 pages of book. There aren't many, you know, I always want to call them commercials, but not commercials, there aren't <laughs> many ads. You know, the static book. commercials that they put into comics. Not to be confused with the new Static Shock <laughs> commercials that we're seeing. I'd um, watch those. I sure would. So, uh, yeah, that's Infinite Frontier number one. It's a really fun book, but it does – it is going to take you some reading before you can really go head in on this book. All right. It was one of those ones that I was, like, kind of flirting with at the stands, like, do I? Do I know? But uh, I will leave the DC knowledge to your capable <laughs> hands. Um, Just talking so to you, Rob. <laughs> Up next, I've got Good Luck, number one, from Boom Studios. Uh, now, this is a very fun, very fast-paced uh, debut from writer Matthew Ehrman, who you may know from How Much We Gushed Over Witch Blood from Vault Comics, uh, with art and colors by the incredible Stefano Simeone and letters by Mike Fiorentino. Um, now, this is a Boom Studios debut uh, and a true number one in terms of accessibility. Now, a true number one is what we like to say is a book that requires absolutely no prior reading. You don't even have to have read the solicitation text. We always <laughs> recommend reading the solicitation text in case you want to uh, get a little taste of what a book is about. But you don't have to have any prior knowledge because this book lays it all out for you. And it is a self-contained, independent, creator-owned series. Uh, so that is kind of the, the terminology we toss around for books like these. Uh, it has lots of quick and uh, big world building. Actually, if you are watching the show uh, live right now and you can see my screen behind me, I've got the uh, god of bad luck uh, who appears in the <laughs> sky all of a sudden over Little Kentucky, Ohio, I believe. I got confused because my brain's like, no, it's Kentucky, but it's Little Kentucky, Ohio. Um, because one day there were two gods who appeared and the they were the god of bad luck and the god of good luck. And they just kind of started to cause chaos wherever they went. But then they touched. They touched hands and the world changed forever. And that's where that's the first couple of pages uh, that they start on. But this story basically introduces us to a world where luck is a quantifiable, measurable trait in humans like your height, your weight, your blood type. Luck is something that you are born with. You are born with a certain amount of it. Uh, there are certain areas in the world that have higher uh, kind of almost like a barometric pressure of luck and lower <laughs> aspects of luck. And this is something that they could measure like the weather. Um, and what happens when we have a group of children who are born completely without luck? They are born in the age of luck, sans luck. Uh, enter the unfortunates. And we have a suicide squad type group of children who are tasked nice. with uh, practicing training simulations because they may be the only people who can make sure that the world is able to survive in this strange uh, capacity that it exists. Um, I don't want to go too much more without uh, spoiling the, the kind of first issue um, story, but uh, lots of lots of fun uh, characters here. Again, Matthew Ehrman really shines in creating a uh, very likable cast. Um, so we are met with Artie, Cherry, Hilda, and then uh, Johnny Test Pilot. Johnny Test Pilot is the newest <laughs> unfortunate to join the crew. Uh, and, and it basically does become a are any of these kids more lucky than the other because they're all they're all luckless children and how are they supposed mm. to be the ones who are uh, saving the planet? It's a lot of fun. Uh, there's ways to manipulate luck in like a scientific capacity, almost like a like an oxygen suit that allows them to uh, have luck. And so we don't get a lot of we don't get a lot of explicit visual about how this affects normal people. How different levels of luck, but we do get to see that these kids are pretty unlucky. So um, <laughs> lots of really ambitious world building in this first issue. Absolutely 
shines through the artwork as well as Stefano Simeone. Uh, again, that pervasive uh, pink of the bad luck and the gold of the good luck uh, is throughout the issue. It feels very vibrant. Um, nice. In terms of interest, again, I've mentioned it's kind of like a teenage suicide squad. Um, it feels like, I mean, Boom Studios does a great job with independent releases, but it feels like a Vertigo title, like a Grant Morrison Vertigo title, but a lot more optimistic and like <laughs> cotton candy colored, uh, if you'll permit me to say so. Of course, if you're a fan of Witchblood, uh, then you're going to want to come for Ehrman's writing and stay for the fantastic artwork by Simeone. Um, but also, I think if you're reading Seven Secrets by Boom Studios, uh, you might like this one as well. I don't think that they're even remotely similar in plot, Um but they have likable teenage protagonists, lots of great action and visuals, and a fun kind of, um, this is not so much a clandestine operation uh, to, to keep the unfortunates on track and, and get them to save the world, but the very idea of having this strange set of circumstances and, and these kids are the only ones with the specialized <laughs> skill, which is the lack of skill, uh, I guess, enough to, to save the world uh, that has measurable and manipulating uh manipulatable malleable i guess uh quantities of luck um so in terms of the m this is 399 uh it is kind of your standard i believe 28 page release from boom uh, again not too many commercials in the comics but they do have the standard uh kind of back of the book boom studios advertisements for a couple of new uh new series and places nice. where you can go to uh pick up boom studios books from local retailers I think this is a really fun debut this week. It's one of the more notable number ones. Uh, and there's some great variants as well. There's a foil cover. I don't know who told Boom Studios, like, foil variant covers. They're the thing to do. But I freaking love the foil variant covers. I'm kind yeah, of obsessed with them. Knocking it out of the park with them. But, kind uh, of nailed that game down. Yeah, there are there are a couple of variant covers for Good Luck, so you can check that out. And, and it really does kind of make it shine uh, with those, again, that gold and pink of the good and bad luck. Um, so I highly recommend this one. Love Matthew Ehrman's stuff. Uh, I look forward to every release uh, from him, and this has been a long time coming. Uh, so this this one is a lot of fun, and I've gotten to peek at the issue too. Uh, I don't want to give away anything from that, but this this book does manage to keep up its fun and vibrant pace throughout. So you guys will want to check out Good Luck Number One, available on Comixology and from your physical uh, local retailer if you can find it there. Um, and I know I mentioned earlier also, um, if you are watching us live, you are seeing all the assets hopefully great uh, but if you are listening on our podcast feedback which does go live every thursday morning following the new comic book wednesday you can go to sideshow.com geek and we will upload all of the covers that we reference here so you can see what we're talking about unfortunately i can't upload a hollow foil cover to the internet <laughs> uh but we will we'll provide you at least the the picture and you can provide the shine in your own mind but uh that is good luck number one from boom studios sounds like a lyric from your new album amy <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I will poetic. be uh, dropping <laughs> dropping that one soon enough. <laughs> We're all waiting. Thank you so much, Amy. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go on to my last aim of the day, and I am covering a really hot release for today. Batman Reptilian number one. This is by Garth Ennis, uh, art and colors uh, by Liam Sharp, and the lettering, lettering, I'm sorry, by Rob Sheen. Now, this is a story um, about essentially the all of the major villains that we have um come to know and love in Batman's Rogues Gallery are dying and are or really being maimed and so much so that it's putting fear into the likes of even the Joker and other folks so Ooh. who who is scary enough so everyone you know who is scary enough to not only scare them but also scare Batman. Batman has, you know, his Tower of Babylon for everything except this one person, and it's a mystery and a story about who this one person maybe or maybe isn't. Um, now, this is a really interesting story because I don't think I've ever, unless I'm just completely missing something, I don't think I've ever read a Garth Ennis, you know, big two story, at least that I can remember now. So it's very interesting to see Garth Ennis sort of... Um, as we like to say on all our shows, on the rails, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sort of having a, you know, normally Garth Ennis brings his own sand, his own toys, and his own playground. Uh, this time around, he sort of had to play in a, you know, already created playground. And it, it was, uh, it, for me, it was noticeable. 
we'll just say that. It was interesting to see how this story sort of started. Um, and I honestly had no idea where it's going, uh, even when I got towards the end of the story. So sort of getting into the aim of this story, is it accessible? Uh, yes. So it is very accessible. If you know who Batman is and you don't know who any of his villains are, that's not going to be a problem. There are some new characters introduced. Because <laughs> they're dying. Who needs They're to? dying anyways. Who cares? <laughs> they're doing the work for you. So uh, even if you don't know who they are, I mean, it's not, they're not really at the forefront. They are not the reason or the point for this story. Um, all you really got to do is follow uh, Batman. He's going kind of insane not knowing who this person is because he thinks, oh, well, you know, it's the Riddler doing this or it's the Penguin. But then they all start, you know, getting ganked in the words of a uh, Dean and Sam Winchester and it's uh, it's a real interesting story and then also how easy is it to uh, pick up you should be able to find this anywhere uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, Sienkiewicz I'm sorry has a story um, or I'm sorry has a um, a variant for this and I think there might be another one somewhere but there should just be a cover A, a B and like a 1 in 100 type cover somewhere um, now the uh, interest for this is it, it, it's hard to really gauge because it is a Batman story, and it's definitely not like a Batman story I've read in a while. Um, I had covered The Legends of the Dark Knight that we had read earlier, um, and that was it was fine. That felt more like a cookie cutter. Like we've sort of read the story, and it feels like something Derek Robertson, Derek Robertson, had been wanting to uh, tell for a while. Uh, this feels like a story that Garth Ennis had been wanting to tell. Um, I do wish that the first issue was a little bit longer. It. It is very, it's, again, by the end of the issue, I wasn't sure at all, like, what Garth Ennis was trying to say about this story in any capacity. Um, I also, normally, I'll be honest, I love Liam Sharp's art, but the coloring on this is so dark that some of, like, the really subtle lines and nuances that I love about Liam Sharp that he did in some of um, Grant Morrison's Green Lantern work that I loved, like, so, so, so much. Even won me a panel of the week once. Um, <laughs> and uh, you never let me forget it. I'll never let you forget it, no. Um, sort of get drowned out by, like, the really dark color that they're going for with Gotham, I understand. Um, but I would like to see that toned down a little bit. I mean, like, what is what does it matter? But like at this point, the book's already out, but it was really, really great uh, to see like the moments when Liam Sharp could bring those, those really, really bright colors to the forefront. Cause you get a lot of really fun um, moments here and some very unique iterations of characters. Like I've not, I've also, I know Rob read this as well. Um, so I'd be curious, Rob, we can talk after, but I've never seen Batman sort of dr drawn in this fashion. Um, it, it was really, really interesting to see how um, what his interpretation of Batman is like because he really steers into like the boogeyman aspect of Batman here. So if you've always, you know, sort of the he's the myth that a lot of people are still scared of. Um, for me, it <laughs> felt like you know if you've if any of you've ever read out there Jeff Johns and Gary Frank's Batman Earth One. Uh, it felt like a story that would very much be like the eighth down the road, like a very grizzled, a very upset Batman who has no time for anyone or anything. He just gets like <laughs> right to it. Um, it was a really interesting story, and it it I I I can sort of see the threads that it's wanting to tell. It's just. Uh, I, th I think it's doing too much, and normally, in my experience, Garth Ennis works better when I read his stories sort of like, you know, in a pile, in one, <laughs> uh, you know, no particular order, just one big pile, but, uh, you know, back to back, I can sort of trade weight on them, so I may do that with this particular one, I'm, you know, I, I don't mean to come off as negative, I'm, I feel like I'm being like, I don't like this book, but it's just, I think it was... Uh, it's a really ambitious book, especially for someone like Batman. And normally with black label books, you can get away with stuff. But like, I also felt like Sean Gordon Murphy, Sean Gordon, yeah, Sean Gordon Murphy, yeah, told an incredible story with the first, you know, his first Batman tale. So I know it can be done, but I'm curious to see what Garth Ennis wants to say with this, the rest of the story, which apparently I looked, I'm in the minority with this. Uh, I I don't know what it was, but like people uh, love, love, love this book. I might need to just reread it again. Um, but as far as the M goes, it is three ninety nine. Three ninety nine. 
Yes. Really for a black label four, release. $4.99, I'm sorry. Uh, $4.99, 32 pages, and it's only one of six, I believe. I, it should be a six-issue release. Um, I could be wrong. It might be 12 issues, but I can't see it being 12 issues. I'm pretty sure I read that uh, Ennis had signed on for six issues, so this is one of six, But um, which I would prefer. I feel like this story could be pretty self-contained but it can't go past this because you're killing off all the rogues gallery so we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens so that's batman reptilian i know it's a book that um i was really really stoked for so i i may just need to read like one two and three back to back and sort of appreciate it in that sort of medium but we'll see i'm still okay. i'm still excited i'm so glad i picked it up though because now i know <laughs> and the more you know uh before we get on to my last aim i did want to give a shout out that it is the last day for stray dogs as well i saw the really <laughs> cool friday the 13th cover uh out there but of course we're not going to aim that for you because it's the end of a series but that means that the trade paperback's coming soon so we might mm -hmm. uh hit that up for you guys when the trade paperback comes back out i'm sure a lot of you have already uh read and been traumatized by this story but uh if you are checking that out enjoy the last issue today my final aim for today is heroes return number one from Marvel Comics. Now, despite the title and despite the number, this is the eighth story um, in the Heroes Reborn event main arc. Uh, not sure why they decided to call it Heroes Return number one, other than to distinguish uh, that this is a an ending one shot. Uh, this right. was written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis and Mark Morales, uh, colors by Matthew Wilson and lettering by Corey Petit. Um, now, of course, Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis are the main team behind the Avengers book now and almost forevermore, I'm sure. Um, but because this has been such an integral uh, part of their run, they, they, it was an event that was big enough uh, in a particular run to, to make a full line-wide event. I mean, Jason Aaron has a way of, of doing that. I mean, War of the Realms also was a, was a Thor event that got too big for yep. its britches, and they're like, let's make everybody involved in this, and it was great. Um, and I had a lot of fun with Heroes Return and Heroes Reborn overall. Uh, really enjoyed this event. I'm, I'm sorry that it came on the end of so much event fatigue from the X-Men and the King in Black and the, the Carnage stuff. Uh, or actually, Carnage right. hasn't even started, but... Um, this was such a fun event. I really enjoyed it, but it's also a little hard to recommend this because this is the final issue. But if you didn't pick up anything from Heroes Reborn uh, and you just kind of want to see something fun and strange, <laughs> you know, you can read this issue. Um, it does have a lot of plot threads to Jason Aaron's Avengers, a lot of payoff for storylines and a lot of setup for what's coming next. But in the end, this is a slugfest between the Squadron Supreme and the Avengers who were Earth's former mighty, Mightiest Heroes. Um, this is, of course, at the end of this event, I can kind of spoil a little bit of what this was about. This was in a yeah. world where Agent Coulson sold his soul to the devil. So first of all, if you want to get your Mephisto fix, uh, this is all about Mephisto. Uh, sold his soul to the devil because in the comics, Agent Coulson is very jaded on the Avengers. He's jaded on the concept of the Avengers. Uh, and having worked with S.H.I.E.L.D., he understands the, the trouble they caused. So he remade the world perfectly without... Uh, the meddlesome mightiest heroes where the squadron supreme are the heroes of America. And again, as I've said with the last couple of issues of this uh, event I've covered, this uh, squadron supreme is Marvel's tip of the hat to the distinguished competition. It reads like the closest <laughs> thing we'll get to Amalgam Comics without getting Amalgam Comics in the mix anymore. Uh, I just had so much fun with the way that uh, like uh, Power Princess is just a such a mean version of Wonder Woman and how Hyperion is kind of the Clark Kent. But again, they're they're all just kind of meaner versions of the DC characters is what I'm <laughs> going to take away from this. Um, but we finally got all of the Avengers who were being assembled throughout the uh, Heroes Reborn main seven stories, little short stories at the end. And, and the Avengers are back and they get to flip the world back to the way it was. But this book mm -hmm. is really fun because it does this really crazy thing where basically every panel is a big panel. Uh, not full page spreads, but big panels that switch between everybody's paired off with a different member of the Squadron Supreme who best matches their power set. Uh, oh. And so I think there's an appeal in that where even if you didn't read anything else from this event, if you didn't get all of the weird intrigue about the Squadron Supreme realizing that the world has been remade in their uh, kind of image to put them at the top, this is just the Avengers fighting really fun. Uh, like if you wanted to see Blade take on Batman, essentially, it's, it's nice. Blade versus Nighthawk. Uh, and um, Black Panther versus the Blur, 
who he manages to keep up with the fastest man alive. Uh, and and yeah, the the Wonder Woman, it, she's scary because her weapons are invisible. Instead of like a jet, she's got an invisible sword. And it's just like, oh my God, that's invisible really chainsaw. terrifying. chainsaw. Yeah, Sorry, pretty much. Spoilers for she's Dark Knight's death metal. She's got the... Um, <laughs> The chain of veracity is her lasso of truth. Oh, um, nice. <laughs> but yeah, she's got the invisible barbed wire of Ares, which I was like, what? <laughs> That's a distinctly Jason Aaron thing to put into a book. I had a lot of fun with this one. Uh, if you weren't reading the full event, I don't know how much you're going to want to um, check this out. So I'm kind of mixing the accessibility and the interest. It's it's the end of an event, but you can kind of just pick it up if you have the understanding of like, this is a weird alternate universe. It's, it's, it's like, what if an amalgam had a weird baby that yep. they couldn't like include DC on? <laughs> but I had a lot of fun. And in terms of interest, if you're looking for Mephisto and you're finding that Disney Plus is just not delivering, uh, this this issue will deliver on the Mephisto for you. Um, but beyond that, it does end with some uh, resolution that will carry over into Jason Aaron's Avengers. So if you are reading Jason Aaron's Avengers, this is kind of requisite reading. We sometimes talk about books that mm-hmm. you don't have to necessarily have read anything before them, but you might need them going into the future. Um, and so if you're following along Jason Aaron's Avengers, this is going to be part of that moving forward. Um, but I won't tell you exactly what happens or how they fix the world, but it's a very, very fun, uh, adventure (laughs) and, and a couple other Marvel characters who had weird, uh, time, time warped places in this new world make appearances as well, like Carol Danvers. Um, and it's fun because, uh, with this issue, I also picked up the next issue of Captain Marvel, which officially means all your titles that were put on hold during Heroes Reborn are back. So we're getting Thor, we're getting Captain Marvel, we're going to get, uh, Captain America again coming up soon. We've got, nice. uh, United States of Cap, but all those books that were put on pause are officially back. Uh, and this event is considered over. So if you had fun, I, I, I hope you enjoyed it and stuck around with it. And if you didn't, it'll be out in trade paperback collection soon enough. Uh, and it is over. And so there's no more uh, event commitment on that. In terms of M, it is five ninety nine. Uh, this was a slightly expensive event. Every book was either 5 or four ninety nine, But you get 52 pages for this. So that is uh, a quite considerable increase from the typical three ninety nine that gets you only about 28 to 32 pages of story. So that is Heroes Return number one from Marvel Comics and your heroes are back baby <laughs> they have been reborn they um, no they've yeah. returned <laughs> oh returned oh jeez yes. i had one job <laughs> so i gotta read the notes so Gosh i know we're not talking spoilers amy but did thor fly around the earth backwards to reverse everything <laughs> no but uh in a in a, a previous issue there was a really interesting take on the fact that the blur got the one more day uh storyline instead of peter parker and oh, the blur, the blur was married to Mary Jane Stewart uh, instead of Mary Jane Watson. So it's just, you no, know, it was fun because it was Marvel not only poking fun at DC, but it was also, or not poking fun, but, you know, lovingly homaging. Uh, See, yeah, but even going back there. through their own history mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of examining it through the lens of, of what other comic book stories have been done before. I just liked it a lot. I, I think it didn't, it wasn't marketed as strongly uh, or clearly to let people know that this wasn't like a big crazy crossover event as uh, some of the other ones were but uh, yeah I really enjoyed this one it seemed like a lot of fun again it is on Marvel Unlimited that's where I'm reading it right now too nice 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 all right so with that we are done with the aim segment but we do have a quick little pulling ahead for you guys Mm -hmm. usually we cover like way way in advance solicits uh but this is one of the rare instances where like this book is already available for pre-order uh and paul and i have been graciously uh given a chance to read it thanks to mad cave studios uh guys sending an advanced uh copy to us we got to check out bountiful garden number one from Mad Cave Studios, which is not only available for pre-order as the series is coming soon, but it's going to be part of Free Comic Book Day because that is still coming up. No longer is Free Comic Book Day on the first May of uh, first Saturday in May until uh, things can get more calm for everyone and local comic book stores. But this will be part of the new uh, Free Comic Book Day releases later this year, uh, specifically in September. This was written by Ivy Noel Weir. So if you remember our Halloween special, Ivy was the writer behind Archival Quality uh, with artist Steens. Uh, and then on this book, we've got penciler and inker Kelly Williams, cover artist Giorgio Spalletta, and letterer Justin Birch. Mm-hmm. Paul, you want to give us a little bit of uh, background on Bountiful Garden? Yeah, so it seems like it's a it's a horror sort of sci-fi fantasy story about uh, this team of researchers here, and they are... Um, I, techni- I think they're technically considered bioengineers, and they are due to sort of go to a new planet and help terraform it. And they are, and the story starts with them being woken up 
10 years before they hit their they hit their uh, destination there and then that's where we'll stop because that's where the story really starts taking place um, so they do land over a planet that is not supposed to be there and then wonderful wonderful shenanigans ensue <laughs> and it is a great great story it kind of reminds me of like if we really put one very specific part of what's that game no man's sky yeah, No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky under a microscope and then let, uh, you know, Ridley Scott write it. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I was going to say it has a very distinct um, alien, aliens feel, uh, a little bit of annihilation mm-hmm. if you were to kind oh, of yeah. mash those two together. Um, and because, I mean, because as you mentioned, they are going to terraform and uh, the cast is this wonderful group of very, very bright teenagers, which also yeah. lends itself very well to, um, without without spoiling the story, when they do awaken the members who take charge and the members who react like teenagers would. I don't care how smart they are. Of course, if you're a teenager, you're going to freak out. Freak out. You're going to freak out. Um, Um, But we do have, there's an architect, a botanist, a biologist and engineers, and then um, their security detail. And they are supposed to be kind of the brightest hope uh, for future and Mm -hmm. sent to terraform this uh, strange planet. It's, it's very, very interesting, very compelling. Again. Yeah. If you like the sci-fi horror, um, both with a kind of the alien and uh, biological uh, stylings of that. Um, and um, before we, we go, I think Matt Cave also sent over a quote from uh, Ivy Noel. It's, it's Weir. I think it's Weir, yes. Weir. Uh, she said, In Bountiful Garden, I set out to pay homage to some of my favorite science fiction and horror creators from across the history of the medium, having grown up as a huge fan of these genres. Speaking as a writer, the team of Kelly, uh, Giorgio, and Justin has been an absolute dream. Every script I turned in, I was just so excited to see how they would run with it and make it even more cosmically creepy than I could have imagined. I think it's a very classic, timeless sort of horror story, and that fans of both horror and sci-fi will find a lot to like here, and plenty of scares. So, uh, I I do, I love a good um, sort of space horror. I mean, deep, Mm -hmm. uh, oh, uh, oh, nope, nope, uh, video game. Horror video game with uh, the guy. Oh, it's what are my Dead Space. Dead Space. Thank you. I keep. I keep. I wanted to say Deep Space Nine, but that's not no, it. No, totally different. <laughs> Dead Space. I. I definitely got some Dead Space vibes as well. Yeah, from it, I got so. some Alien Isolation. Except there's more yes. of them. <laughs> except there's a lot more of them. It's less isolated. And um, uh, and the good old virtuous de- uh, decree of don't split the party. I don't care if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons or you're nope. terraforming a planet. Don't split the party. <laughs> nope. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful story. I'm, you know, we're excited for everyone to read it. And again, thank you, uh, to the team over at Mad Cave for allowing us to get a sneak peek of this. It's really fun. Yeah. Mad Cave has done some great outputs. I mean, we've mm-hmm. previously covered Villainous and Stargazer. I'm personally a huge fan of Show's End. Uh, and this is really exciting that Mad Cave is getting in on free comic book day. Uh, we're getting the start of Bountiful Garden with that. And then it will be a continuing series. Um, so this is available for pre-order right now. You can actually pre-order direct through Mad Cave Studios website. Uh, but it should also be on uh, in previews and whatever uh, software your comic book store may use. You should be able to pre-order that now. Uh, their website says September 1st. But the press release they sent did say September 8th. 8th. So you will get it hitting sometime at the beginning of September. Um, And if you want to get the free comic book day issue, be sure to let your store know. I'm sure uh, comic book stores like to know uh, what they should be ordering up on. Because especially if it's a title they're not really sure if there's a lot of buzz for. They might not order as many. uh, Then it's a little harder to get. And our last thing is always remember for free comic book day, the books that your stores provide for you for free are not free for the stores. They do pay for a certain amount. It's great promotion, great uh, get people in the door uh, material, but they don't, uh, the books aren't free from the publishers. So make sure that you spend a little extra dough, maybe subscribe to the series. If you pick up a free comic book day issue, uh, because that will be a little way to thank your store for getting you free comic books. Mm -hmm. And again, for everyone, um, Free Comic Book Day is happening, hopefully in person for most places this year. I believe that is August 14th this year, which is a Saturday. So it should be the second Saturday of August. Um, should be Well, it's no week. first Saturday in May, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. My heart is crying from it. Yeah, I, I miss it. All right. Thanks again to Mad Cave Studios for letting us get a sneak peek at Bountiful Thank Garden so much, number guys. one. Great stuff. Love Ivy. Check out our archival quality as well from Oni Press, if I can sneak that one in there. But <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap this show up. With a quick holler at the hall, last week we asked you guys what non-superhero comic do you think should be next for a television adaptation? And very astutely, you guys noted that not all non-superhero comics aren't 
Wow, I, I really set myself up for failure. Not all non-superhero <laughs> comics can be found outside of Marvel and DC. I mean, we did have right. some uh, some examples from the big two mm -hmm. as well. Uh, but Paul, you want to get us started on what some people responded with? Yes, Richard Anderson started us off. Is going to start us off here and said, "I'd love to see Monstrous adapted to an anime, very specific." And I love that idea. Uh, honestly, I don't think you could do it justice live action. I totally agree with that. I would love to see a Monstrous anime. Yeah, capturing Sana Takeda's artwork style would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Chris Surma said, "Any of the Boom books, the wo the Woods, Bone Parish, yes. Something Is Killing the Children, Once and Future, so many more." Yeah, I think there's absolutely a market. I am shocked that we don't have an adaptation of Something Is Killing the Children yet, where some books are snapped up before they're even out. Like I'm like. Is there a bidding war? Like, that's the only reason I can understand why we don't have that yet. But uh, you've got my vote. Yep. And Adriana Gonzalez says, Nailbiter by Joshua Williamson would make a great limited series. There's murder. Or I should do like the guy in SNL. It's got everything. There's murder, intrigue, conspiracies, hidden pasts, and so much to explore. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Nailed it. I would love that. Oh, my God. I would love Nailbiter. I love that book so much. All right, and then Chris and Luann Robinson said, for a non-superhero comic to TV show, also towards the end, oh, they provided a picture of the Nom from Marvel, 25th anniversary, number one, mm -hmm. the Nom, uh, or the Nam. Uh, also towards the end of its run, Frank Castle appears during his tours of Nam. So uh, yeah. there, it, is a, it is a wartime comic, uh, not necessarily a superhero series, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, a lot, a lot of people actually voted for that one. Yeah, it, it's a... Um it's, it, it was a story that it, it covers. I, I did a little reading on this, and it cover, it follows the life of Private First Class. I believe it's Ed Brooks is his name, sort of going from, like, basic training to, you know, the unfortunate horrors of Vietnam. Um, yeah, and it was, an, it was an interesting choice that a lot of you guys had said you'd wanted to see this. I would like to see the same team who did, like, Band of Brothers in the Pacific do it. Like, if they were going to do something like that, that would be really sweet um, because that's just – they seem to really – capture that tone well and then yeah uh frank castle does have a bit of a crossover with them like later in like issue 17 or 18 right cool. before the issue sort of wraps so yeah very interesting choice but yeah i mean I'm, i don't see why not yeah paul what about you what do you think what would you like to see oh man you know i completely forgot to think of one <laughs> but if i had to choose quick oh, first oh, the first would... one that you see in your room <laughs> first one that i see in my room i'm gonna i'm gonna make you upset because but i would like to see the autumnal Oh, <laughs> I don't know if that was your. I would like to no, see. No, I didn't. I didn't pick that one. I would love to see that. That would be horrifying, horrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, but I could. See, I could see Shutter taking that on if Shutter really wanted like a powerhouse. Uh, oh, I thought you meant Shutter the comic. Oh like, no, <laughs> Shutter the streaming service. I'm we sorry. do too much reading. My pick might be a little controversial, uh, not because of what it is, but because of what it is. I Saga. really want to. No, I want to see <laughs> sex criminals. I want to see sex. Criminals. Oh, I want to. I want a yeah. comedy crime show that happens to just be Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky's sex criminals because I think that would be so funny. I think it would be done so well. It would have such I, a great cast, not only for John and Susie, uh, but everybody. And I would love to see them actually, I would love to see how they handle, and if you've ever read Sex Criminals, the Freddie Mercury scene. How they oh, handle I've the fact that, that they, far. the Freddie Mercury scene where she's on the pool table, but they couldn't get the rights for it. So it's just Matt Fraction monologuing about how badly he wanted to get the rights to the Queen song and put it in the comic. <laughs> it's it's so funny because it's just like Freddie Mercury, huh? Hell, hell of a set of pipes. Well, we wanted to do this. It would have been funny, but uh, like it's just like the greatest moment ever, and I would love to see oh. how they tackle that in live action. <laughs> It would just be someone stepping in front of the camera like, hey, so I wanted to show you this whole thing. Yeah, like if it was just a talking heads cutaway to Matt Fraction. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Anyways, I love that series. I think it would have legs uh, on it. Like a limited comedy crime series. Would have series. legs. Would have legs. <laughs> and other things. But uh, that's our <laughs> – that's our uh, – Holler at the Hall for the week. But we do have a question for you guys for next week as we mm -hmm. wrap up this beautiful month of June. Hopefully it's been beautiful for all of you. Uh, next week, we want to know, what is your favorite super villain costume? We did previously ask you superhero costume. Mm -hmm. um, please provide references if you've got one that you love. Uh, but we would love to see your favorite super villains costumes because just yes. because you're evil doesn't mean you can't be fashionable. Uh, in fact, some of the most fashionable people are the villains because they have That's extra true. resources, extra evil tailors and all that mm -hmm. good stuff. 
Uh, so uh, show us something that would put Jumbo Carnation's Hellfire designs to shame. Uh, we want to see your favorite villain costume. You can answer that in the Let Your Geek Sideshow Facebook group. Also in yep. the local comic society, side.show slash your LCS. You can also shout out your answer to us on social at the Comics Hall at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can always... Always email us at thecomicshall at sideshow.com. Make sure you get all the ats in the right places. Lots Please. of ats going on. Uh, <laughs> so many freaking ats. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that does it for Wednesday, June 23rd. Welcome back to the new comic book day. Releases feels good to be back to the, the, the most current books. Next week, we've got some really fun stuff lined up for you because it's the last week of the month, but there's a lot of new number ones dropping. So uh, ones. you're going to want to keep an eye out for that. So we will see you here. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on all of Sideshow social media. Or you can catch us at... 8 a.m. the next Thursday uh, on the podcast on all your favorite mm -hmm. podcasting platforms. And again, go to side.show slash geek or sideshow.com slash geek. I believe both work uh, to find the blog that has all of the covers that we referenced on this show. And I think oh. that does it. I think that's all the, you know, all the pre-programmed robot script that I have in my brain. Thank you guys so much for watching. Enjoy Stray Dogs number five as well. <laughs> uh, as always, I'm Amy. And I'm Paul. And this has been the Comics Hall. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. This has been the Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, presented by Sideshow. Submit your response to our fan mail question of the week by emailing thecomicshall at sideshow.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, don't forget to vote on the panel of the week in the Let Your Geek Sideshow official Facebook group. You can watch us live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on Sideshow's official Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, and Periscope channels. And you can keep in touch with our show on social media at the Comics Hall on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, don't forget to let your geek side show. <laughs>